بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على نبيه محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ومن اقتدى بسنته إلى يوم الدين أما بعد So we start our second lesson today as relates to Kitab al-Tahara, the book of purification from Umrah al-Ahkam. Today, inshallah, we'll deal with two narrations after we studied the affair of Tahara in its definition and different categories of uh, water and so forth. And we studied the hadith of Umr ibn Khattab, radiyallahu ta'anhu, inam al-a'malu bin niyat, the actions are by intentions, showing the importance of intentions as we're seeking knowledge and showing the importance of intentions as it relates to distinct, the distinguishing between various acts of worship. That was the first hadith we studied last week, and Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala an. Today we're going to study the second hadith, hadith al-thani, wa huwa an Abi Hurairah radiallahu anhu. أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا يقبل الله صلاة أحدكم إذا أحدث حتى يتوضأ. And that is that Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu he said that the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم or the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he said that a salah or the prayer of any one of you is not accepted and it's not valid if one has hadath meaning one goes to the toilet or the person uh, has relation with their family or the person uh, eats uh, camel meat or those affairs that negates one state of wudu hatta yatawadda the salah is not accepted until they do wudu, until they perform ablution. And this is a very comprehensive hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And regarding this hadith, we deal with a few points. The first point we're going to deal with is the tarjum of the rawi, and that is Abu Huraira radiyallahu an. Abu Huraira, as we know, his name is Abdurrahman. Some of the ulama said his name is Abdullah, but that which is Correct is that his name is Abdurrahman ibn Sakhrin al-Dawsi radiyallahu an. And he embraced Islam in the year of Khaybar. And he attended that battle. And he stuck close to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa'atana bi hadithihi. And played, played, played a lot of emphasis on the narrations of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In that he is from the Mukthirin, Bal. He is from those who narrated most from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. There isn't a companion that narrated more narrations than Abu Huerta radiallahu an. He narrated five hundred sorry, five thousand three hundred and seventy four narrations. Five thousand three hundred and seventy four narrations from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he's Adherence to the hadith and sticking to the hadith and sticking close to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was attested by the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and likewise by the sahaba radiallahu an ibn umar 
ورضي الله عنهما وهي سأل كنت ألزمنا لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وأعلمنا بحديثه In the Musnad of Imam Ahmed is mentioned that Abdullah ibn Umar رضي الله عنهما said regarding Abu Huayra that he said you were the one that stuck closest to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and taking knowledge from him. And you're the one who has the most knowledge regarding his narrations. And mind you that Abu Huayta radiallahu he was young when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam died. And he spent a couple of years with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam but he achieved that which no one achieved in collecting the narrations of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in that short time. And he radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he died in the year 57 in Medina. He died in the year 57 in Medina. Point number two is the mawdu' al-hadith, the topic of this hadith or heading or title we're going to give to this hadith. And that is bayanu hukmi salati biduni wudu. And that is in this hadith is showing the ruling of prayer when one does not have wudu. What is the ruling of the prayer of the one who does not have wudu, who does not have or in a state of ablution? That is the title of this hadith. Point number three is when the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he says salata ahadikum. He says salata, which is nekira, which means that it's indefinite. Salata, any salah. He didn't say salat al-fara'id or the, the obligatory salah. He didn't say the nawafil, just the, the non-obligatory salah. He says salata nekira, which is indefinite. Wata'um, which means it's general for every salah. No salah is accepted. No salah is maqbula, mujzi'a. No salah is accepted when the individual does not have wudu. Meaning, whether it's salat al-fajr, salat al-dhuhr, salat al-asr, salat al-maghrib, salat al-isha, or it's your sunnah salah, or it's salat al-eid, or it's salat al-janazah, or it's istikhara. No salah is accepted, except that individual has to be in a state of wudu. إِذَا أَحْدَثَ حَتَّى يَتْوَضَّى if they're in a state where they, in the state of uh, uh, hadith, where they are in need to do wudu, they have to do wudu, otherwise that salah is not accepted. And we mentioned last week in point number four, we mentioned last week, Barakallahu Fikum, the meaning of al-hadith. Imagine we said ta'ala irtifa' al-hadith. That purification is removing that hadith. And that is that state where you're in need to have ablution, to be able to be in a state to perform an act of worship where one is needed to be in a state of purification. And some of the ulama have says, كُلُّ مَا يَنْقُضُ الْوُضُوءَ كَالْبَوْلِ وَالْغَائِبِ and that is everything that nullifies your state of wudu, your state of ablution, from going to the toilet, urinating, or excreting. 
and other affairs also like eating camel's meat. And having relations requires ghusl. So the salah is not accepted from any individuals in this state until they, barakallahu feekum, do remove and irtifal hadith. They remove that state of not being able to pray. They remove it by purification, whether it's purification of wudu, doing ablution, or it's by doing ghusl when required. The next point we're going to mention regarding this hadith is that this is ma'a qudra. The ulama have mentioned like Sheikh Saleh, Fawzan, Hafizullah, Ta'ala, Ghayra. That this affair of the individual having to do wudu is if they have the ability to do wudu. If they have the ability to do wudu, this is where the salah is not accepted until they do wudu. From the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ and fear Allah to the best of your ability. And the, and the hadith of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, مَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ فَأْتُوا بِهِ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ And what I have commanded you with, then fulfill it and do it to the best of your ability. So if the person does not have the ability to do wudu, and they're in a state where they have hadith, and they're in that state, in that impure state, then if they pray the prayer, is accepted. And the question now will arise is when is it a situation, when can we see a situation, or what is an example of a situation where an individual does not have the ability to do wudu? And that is, for example, if the person is imprisoned. The person is imprisoned and they cannot accumulate dirt, turab, and they cannot accumulate. They don't have water and it's time for Fajr and the time of Fajr is going to go and they cannot get dirt, they cannot get water and they're in a state of waking up for example from sleep, from night and sleeping at night. So they need to do wudu but they can't. They do not have the ability so they pray as they are. Because the important affair here, the ahamshe here, the most important affair is that the time of salah has not gone. So if he did not do that salah, that prayer, while he was imprisoned or while he was captured or he was trapped and he couldn't get access to, to, to dirt or water, if he didn't pray, then he would miss the salah and the timing of the prayer. And that is indeed, barakallahu feekum, more dangerous and more severe. So therefore, he's excused and he can pray without wudu in that state. After this, we deal with some benefits that we can take from this hadith. Bil-umum. The first is, anna salata minha maqboolun wa minha mardudun. And that is that the proof that we can take from this hadith is that there are some prayers that are accepted... May Allah make all our prayers accepted. And there are prayers that are not accepted. There are prayers that are not accepted. Then it's accepted. That which is in accordance to the legislation is accepted. That prayer. For who is 
that which is not in accordance to the legislation, it is not accepted. And that is for sa'ir al-ibadat. That is for all of the types of worship. Taken from the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha um al-mu'mineen. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man amala amalan laysa alayhi, Man amala amalan laysa alayhi amruna, Fahuwa raddun. When the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, that whoever does an action that is not from our affair, that is not from the legislation that Allah has legislated, and the son of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it is not from the legislation, whoever does an action that is not from the legislation is rejected. And it is not from the legislation, barakallahu feekum, to do salah without wudu, when you have the ability to do wudu. And that's for the rest of the types of worship. The second benefit that we can take from this hadith, and that is that all of the prayers that one prays, whether it's the obligatory prayers or the janaza prayer, it's not accepted except when the person is in a state of tahara. It is not valid until the person does wudu if they're in need to do wudu. Even if they forget. The third benefit that we can take from this hadith. And that is that praying in a state where you need to do wudu. Where you're muhdith. You've gone to the toilet. Or you've woken up from a prolonged sleep. It is impermissible. Not only is the salah not accepted. But it is impermissible for you to pray. It is a sin. For you to pray. Without wudu. When you have the ability. To perform wudu. Which is why. Imam al-Dhahabi. Rahimullahu ta'ala. In al-Kaba'ir. In his book. Called al-Kaba'ir. Where he compiled. All of the acts of the major sins. From the major sins. Is doing wudu. Is praying without being in a state of wudu. When you have the ability to do wudu. It's from the major sins. It's not a small affair. Which is why some of the ulama. Have even gone further. And taken a stauncher position. Regarding the person who leaves. Who prays. Barakallahu feekum without wudu. When they have the ability to do so. And that is because. It's a type of disrespectful. Behavior as it relates to the ahkam and the rulings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed. It's a type of disrespect and disregard, which is why it is considered a major sin to pray or attempt to pray in a state of not having wudu or being muhdith or needing to do wudu. It's a type of disregard to the legislation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another benefit that we can take from this hadith is indeed it shows us the high status of a salah. The high status of a salah. 
The status of Salah is indeed mighty. Being that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept that act of worship, except that you're in a state of purity. You're in a state of purification. It's not accepted. But as for giving zakat, you can give zakat when you don't have wudu. You can fast the whole day, obviously praying your salahs, that's another issue. But generally you can fast without having wudu. And certain aspects of hajj you can do without having wudu. But not salah. Not the prayer, showing the high status of the salah as it relates to other types of worship. After this we move on to the second hadith of today which is the third hadith of Kitab al-Tahara and that is the had- and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Alz wa Abi Huraira wa Aisha radiyallahu anhum and the Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal waylun lil-a'qabi min al-nar and that is Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-Az radiyallahu anhum and likewise Abi Huraira and Aisha three companions from various Collections from Bukhari Muslim, rather, they said that the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said, "Woe be to the hills from the nar, woe be on the hills from the hellfire, and your heels, and your feet." And this hadith is a very, very, very important hadith. And we will deal with this hadith again in points. The first point is the Tarjuma brief biography of some of the narrators that we haven't studied before. And the first of those is Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Alas. And Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Alas, he radiyallahu anhuma, is a sahabi jalil al-Qurashi. He's Qurashi from the Quraysh, a Sahmi. And he was somebody who exerted a lot of ibad and worship. He worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a lot. And he memorized a lot of the narrations of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But he did not narrate, he, he memorized a lot of the narrations, but he did not narrate a lot. So he's not considered as being from the Muqthirin, those who narrated frequently from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, like we have with Abu Huraira and Aisha radiallahu anhum ajma'in. The ulama that differed, the ulama differed where he, when he died and where he died. Imam Ahmed, rahimullah ta'ala, he said that he died in the year 63. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, he died in the year 63. He was a companion, Abdullah was a companion, and his father Amr was also a companion. For who was Sahabiyun ibn Sahabiyin. He was a companion, a son of another companion. And the second narrator is Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala. And we have just briefly uh, studied his biography. And the third narrator is Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Um al-Mu'mineen bint Abi Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. As-Siddiq bint as-Siddiq. 
عائشة رضي الله تعالى أم المؤمنين القرشي التيمي she's from the Quraysh as well and she was born in Islam عنها, and married the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Mecca after the death of Khadija radiyallahu ta'ala and and he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Nabiya Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam married Aisha in the same year he married Sauda he married her in the same year so in one year the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he married Two wives, Aisha radiallahu ta'anha first and then later on in that year he married Sauda radiallahu anhuma. And he married her when she was six years old and consummated the marriage when she was nine. And when he died sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was 18 years old. She was 18, radiallahu anha, when the Prophet sallallahu died. And she was from the ulama of hadith, the ulama of the sunnah. Kabirun, laha janib kabir. For her is an amazing contribution as it relates to the hadith of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And fatwa and giving a lot of fatawa. And she had many students, radiyallahu ta'ala anha. As we find the frequent narrations from her in the muwat, mentioned in Muwatta of Imam Malik and Bukhari and Muslim, she was a ulama, alim amin ulama. She was a scholar from the scholars. And she was from the virtuous, or the most virtuous woman in history, according to the correct opinion. Some ulama have said that it's Khadija, and others have said that it's Fatima. But that which is strongest is that it's Aisha radiallahu anha. Based on the hadith of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where he said, Fadu Aisha ala nisa kafadlil tharid ala sa'iril ta'am. This hadith in Bukhari, Kitab al Anbiya. And that is that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that the virtue of Aisha radiallahu anha. To all the women is that the virtue of the best food, which is a thari, which is the best food at that time, to all other foods, types of foods. So she was the best of women, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Atta, rahimullah ta'ala, he said, كانت أحسن الناس رأيين في العام. And in general, she was the best of those who had the, had the best of, of opinion, generally, from the people. And Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, مَا أَشْكَلَ عَلَيْنَا أَمْرٌ فَسَأَلْنَا عَائِشَةَ عَنْهُ إِلَّا وَجَدْنَا عِنْدَهَا فِيهِ عِلْمٍ He said radiyallahu anhu, that there wasn't an issue which required clarification for them, that they asked Aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha regarding it, except that she had knowledge regarding that affair. And she narrated 2,210 hadith and Ani Rasulullah. She narrated 2,210 narrations from the Messenger. She was a muhaditha, she was a scholar of hadith. And she died in Medina. 
as did Umar, and as did Umar radiallahu anhu, as we mentioned last week, and likewise Abu Huwara radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Aisha also died radiallahu ta'ala in Medina in the year 58. In the year 58 radiallahu anha. Point number two regarding the title of this hadith. Where the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said, Woe be to your heels or the heels from the fire. And that is point number two, Mawdu al hadith, the topic or the title per se of this hadith. And that is Bayanu Hukmil Taqsiri fil wudu. And that is the ruling of being negligent as it relates to wudu. The ruling of one being negligent as it relates to wudu. Point number three, the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Wailun. He said, Wail, woe. And this is a type of threat that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is saying, be, be careful, take care, take heed. And some of the ulama have said that the meaning of whale is a wad in filnar. It's a valley in the hellfire. Which means punishment. Be cautious that punishment will reach you due to your heels. And that is that tahara, purification, min aham shurut salah. Purification, being in a state of purification, is from the most important conditions of the prayer. And if one is negligent regarding the purification and doing the wudu, then they will fall short as it relates to their prayer. So the Messenger wasallam is warning against being negligent as it relates to the wudu. And he mentions wasallam al-aqab, the heels. Which is the the gem al aqib, which is your heels, and that is the aqabalati lam yakmul ghasluha fil wudu. And that is that barakallahu fikum, the heels that have not touched water, meaning the person is negligent in doing wudu, so they they leave their heels dry. Not being touched with water. The Prophet wasallam is warning against this act. And warning against this type of negligence. He's warning wasallam against this affair of being negligent as it relates to your heels. And he mentions the heels wasallam. Not that we, all, we have to be cautious only with the heels. But he mentioned the heel because that is... The area in which many, barakallahu fikum, are negligent regarding. It's easy for one to forget their heels when they're doing wudu and washing their feet. So the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has mentioned that part of the body which can one could be negligent regarding. But in fact, this applies to all parts of the body that the individual is making wudu, that you have to make sure that you're not negligent regarding it. Asbighul wudu. As the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, he mentioned in another narration, Asbighul wudu. 
Wailun lil aqabi min nar Perfect your wudu. And woe to you be your, your heels from the fire. Be careful regarding your heels from the fire. Asbirul wudu. And asbirul here, it means itmam al wudu. Perfect your wudu. Don't be lazy when it comes to doing your wudu and washing your feet. So the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is emphasizing this affair. Barakallahu fikum. After this barakallahu fikum, we deal with some points of benefit that we can take from this hadith. The first benefit that we can take from this hadith is wujubu isti'ab al-a'da'il wudu'i bitathir. And that is the obligation to make sure you cover all of the body, parts of the body that we're supposed to cover in wudu. Your arms up onto your elbows and just pass your elbows to be sure. This is done by Abu Huwata radiallahu Your feet and your ankle up to your ankles. Washing the face properly. Putting water up your nose and blowing it out, snuffing it and blow, sniffing it or snuffing it and blowing it out efficiently. We have to take care for every aspect of our bodies and also our limbs rather that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated that we have to do wudu regarding. Or water has to touch it regarding as mentioned in Surah Ma'idah. And that is what we'll study next week in detail with Idnillahi ta'ala. So here it shows the obligation of this. The second benefit is al-wa'id ala man akhalla bi shay'in min dhalik. And there's a threat for the one that is negligent regarding this affair. It's not an easy affair. Because of the status of a salah. So therefore the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has mentioned the wa'id and the threat for the one that is negligent regarding covering each part of the limbs that is required with water. Point number three, and that is that a taqsir fi shay'i min a'da'i tahara yu'tabaru kabiratan min kaba'i al-dhunum. This is mentioned by Al-Alama Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin rahimullah. That negligence as it relates to any part of the body that is required to do wudu is a major sin. Just like we mentioned regarding the person who does not do wudu and prays without wudu, that's a major sin. And the fourth benefit that we can take from this, أَنَّ غَسْلَ الرِّجْلَيْنِ فِي الْوُدُوءِ وَاجِبٌ إِذَا كَانَتَا مَكْشُوفَتَيْنِ And that is the obligation of washing the feet, both of the feet in wudu, if you're not wearing socks or shoes and so forth. Again, we'll deal with that in detail next week. If you have your bare feet, it is obligatory for you to wash your feet. Following the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he said, subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
and wash your feet up unto and including your ankles. This is obligatory. Another benefit that we can take from this hadith is Ithbatul Jazai al Amal. And that is that indeed actions are, uh, or reward is based upon one's actions. There are ramifications. And an individual will be taken to account for that which they do. And this shows us, Barakallahu Fikum, that even though we're studying fiqh, aqidah is incorporated in this. Because in this is iman and belief in nar. Belief in the existence of the hellfire. And belief in the existence of punishments. And belief in the existence of ramifications and hisab. Naam. And this is from the aqid of Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah. And likewise, in this hadith is a refutation against the Rafidah. Against the Rafidah. Because the Rafidah, the Shia, يقولون يكفي مسح القدمين. The Shia, they say that it's sufficient just to wipe over your feet. But in this hadith, the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is emphasizing that one must be cautious regarding their heel, meaning that it should be washed. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He said, وَأَرْجُولَكُمْ يعني اغسلوا أرجولكم wash your feet أرجولكم منصوب أرجولكم is an is an object wash wash what أرجولكم your feet إلى الكعبين up to you up and including your heels or your ankles rather and finally we're gonna end today's lesson and to and this hadith with the sabab wurud al hadith the reason that this hadith of the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam occurred will be to the yani the heels from the fire and that is the narration in abdullah ibn amr ibn al as radiyallahu anhuma annahu kan ma kana ma'a nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam fi safarin they were with the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam abdullah Mentioned that they were in a journey with the, on a journey with the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it was Salatul Asr. And the people started doing wudu, yatawadda'oon wa yamsahoon ala arjulihim. And the people started doing wudu. And then they started wiping their feet. Fanada Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam bi a'la sawtihi. And then the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he raised his voice. وَيْلٌ لِلْعَقَابِ مِنَ النَّارِ مَرَّتَيْنَ وَثَلَاثًا He raised his voice, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, woe be to your heels from the hellfire. Yani, wash your heels. أَصْبِغُ الْوُضُوءِ Perfect your wudu. And in the hadith of Abu Huwata, in his narration, and this one is in Sahih Muslim, and that is that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ra'a rajulan lam yaghsil aqibayh faqala waylun lil'aqabi minan nar 
And that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he noticed an individual was doing wudu and he didn't wash his heels. So the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said in another occasion in the hadith of Abu Huayt, Woe be to your heels from the hellfire. Woe be to your heels from the hellfire. Sheikh Salih Fawzan, Hafizullah Ta'ala, he gives a nice advice which is befitting that we conclude with it. He said, So in conclusion, the, the individuals or people should not be hasty and rush their wudu. But rather they take their time and cover all of those limbs legislated for water to touch it in wudu. And sometimes you may find that the water may be cold or the the period is cold or the water is cold or it's cold outside for your statue in sand so then the individual rushes and does wudu the individual does not perfect his wudu because of of the cold and then he mentions Shaykh Saleh Hafizullah Ta'ala, the hadith which is in Sahih Muslim, and that is that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has mentioned that from those affairs where the sins are wiped out and individuals are raised in levels is when one does wudu in a difficult situation or a time of difficulty. And from that is it when it's cold. And this hadith, Barakallahu Fikim Zan Abi Huayta radiallahu anhu in Sahih Muslim. So there's reward for the one, even though it's cold. You wake up in the, in the morning for Fajr and it's cold. And then you rush to do your wudu. One takes their time and reflects on this hadith of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the hadith of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying that, woe be to the heals from the hellfire and perfect your wudu will be to the hills from the hellfire one reflects upon this and also the reward of the difficulty of doing wudu in times of difficulty and the reward for that one reflects upon this and perhaps this will aid them in perfecting their wudu and taking their time and with this barakallahu fikum we conclude today's lesson from Umrah Al-Ahkam, Kitab Al-Tahara, from Umrah Al-Ahkam, Hadha Wallahu A'lam, wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak, ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in, walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Hayakumullah.